This podcast is brought to you by NAB. More than money. Welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. I'm your host, Alice Stoltz. After the recent announcement of further cuts to interest rates, we take a deep dive into how it may impact the property market. And then we hone in on the interesting story emerging from the west coast of Australia, where after eight years of stagnation, Perth is seeing its sharpest rise in rental prices. And to complete our talks with all of this year's block contestants, Daniel and Jay join us as we fast approach auction day. Interest rates have been slashed to a new record low, with the Reserve Bank dropping the cash rate to 0.1% at its November meeting. Given the state of the Australian economy, RBA Governor Philip Lowe has said people should not expect the cash rate to go up again for at least three years and has encouraged mortgage holders to seek a better deal from their bank if rate cuts aren't passed on. Joining us today to discuss how the latest rate cut and other measures announced by the RBA could impact the property market is Joe Masters, Chief Economist for EY Oceana. Joe, welcome to Property Unpacked. Fantastic to be talking to you. Now, Joe, we've been at record low interest rates for years now. Do you think that this latest cut will have much impact on activity in the property market? So it won't have as much impact as earlier rate cuts had. You know, if we think back when mortgage rates were 4 or 5% and we've cut them down to these levels, you know, that's a, a bigger decline. But I think it will still have an impact, particularly given it's come alongside some easing of those responsible lending requirements of banks. So it's a little bit easier to get your mortgage approved. And with a lower interest rate, you'll be able to borrow a little bit more than you would have been able to do otherwise. And that means that households will have more money to either upgrade or for first home buyers to get into the market. And how much of a shift do you think it has on people sort of in terms of their sentiment or their confidence about how they feel about purchasing or exchanging properties? So I think for someone who already owns a home that is looking to upgrade, you know, perhaps they've started to have a family and they want to have a bigger home. I I think this will be a positive boost in the sense that they're already in the market, but they'll be able to borrow a little bit more and interest rates are low and it won't add a huge impost to their monthly expenses. I think for first home buyers, though, the impact's probably a bit less in the sense that the real hurdle for first home buyers is actually saving the deposit. That 20% deposit that you need is so hard because house prices are already so high. And these interest rate cuts, they don't change that ability to save for such a big deposit. Mm. On that note, Joe, giving this makes borrowing cheaper again, is there the potential for it to then push house prices up? Absolutely. That's what we've seen in Australia previously when we've cut interest rates. And in fact, that's what we've seen overseas as well when we cut interest rates. It's not just that interest rates are so low, but the world is awash with money and it's looking for places to earn a return. And we know that, for example, pensioners and self-funded retirees are earning less off things like term deposits and that's encouraging them to move into the equity market or to invest in the housing market. So that's adding demand on top. Plus, as we've said, people will be able to borrow a bit more because interest rates are lower. That all fuels demand and increases housing prices. And in fact, 
It's really interesting that we heard from Reserve Bank Governor Phil Lowe a couple of weeks ago where he said that rising house prices can actually help the financial system because they reduce the chance of loans becoming problematic. And that's a very different mindset from a couple of years ago where they worried about rising house prices mean that households borrow more and that is actually a worry for financial stability. So one of the objectives of these rate cuts is to see higher asset prices, including housing. Mm. I suppose on the front of first home buyers that we do know there's a lot of options available for them to help with that deposit, as you referenced, that usually is the biggest hurdle for them. How much will that temper rising house prices? Is that going to help enough? Yes and no. We are seeing the various measures, which are both federal and state, to support first home buyers have an impact. We can see that in the proportion of mortgages that are being issued to first home buyers every month is running at the highest levels that we've seen since 2008 or 2009, and particularly strong in Western Australia. So it is getting first home buyers back into the market. But all first home buyers benefit from that. And in the sense that first home buyers tend to have a relatively similar sort of starting price band, if you like, it can actually increase demand in that price band and actually reinforce rising prices. So it's not a silver bullet solution to getting young Australians into the housing market, but it is helping with some of that deposit affordability. Mm. We saw that RBA Governor Phil Lowe has encouraged borrowers to go to their bank and ask for a better deal and if they're not getting it to make that quite clear to the bank and switch banks. Do you think we'll see much of an uptick of people looking to change banks or refinance based on that advice? So it's really interesting. Governor Lowe had actually made that call to arms over a year ago and there wasn't much response in the market. Interestingly, this time around, we have seen a surge in refinancing and particularly refinancing with a new provider. So that's people moving banks and taking their mortgage to a new bank in search for a better deal. And again, we can see that in the housing finance numbers. It's up sort of 40 to 60% on a year ago, this moving banks and refinancing. I think that's really encouraging in the sense that households are being proactive what I think it does tell us as well, though, is that households are watching their pennies really closely. Joe, with rates so low, where is left for the RBA to go in the future in terms of getting the economy back on track, knowing that they've sort of you know, pulled that lever almost as far as it can go when it comes to interest rates? First of all, on interest rates, we no longer just use interest rates to stimulate the economy. We've also got the Reserve Bank purchasing government bonds on the secondary market. Now, we call that quantitative easing. What it does is it pushes money into the economy, which tends to generate economic activity. So, the RBA do have more moves they can make. They're not going to be as effective as the monetary policy response that we had after the GFC. So, most of the support is going to have to come from government spending, from the budget, from what we call fiscal policy. The next move on interest rates would push interest rates into negative territory. The RBA have been very clear that that is extraordinarily unlikely. And they are the two words that Governor Lowe uses, and he used them again when they cut rates recently. But in this environment, never say never. Before they do that, there are still other things they can do. They can increase the number of government bonds that they're buying. They can intervene directly in the currency market. That's not something we've seen for a very long time, but is open to them as a possibility. They can also look to 
buy corporate debt in the way that they're buying government debt at the moment. I suspect the barrier to do that is quite high, but we are seeing that happen in the US. So that's quite an interesting case study. So in short, I suspect they will try not to do anything more on interest rates unless they're pushed into it. But there are other levers they can pull. But really, the onus is on government spending and fiscal policy. Just on the note of negative interest rates, Joe, and I know you've, you've sort of said it's unlikely to happen here. How has that affected property markets in countries overseas when they have gone down that path? So the main places we've seen negative interest rates are in Japan, which has particularly unique economic challenges, but also in Europe. Now, what's interesting is often people think that if the central bank moves the cash rate into negative territory, that means that all interest rates become negative. That's actually not the case. In fact, only in Denmark did you see a negative mortgage rate. Now, that's kind of hard to get your mind around, but the way it played out in Denmark was that you've still had repayments, but no interest. But at the end of your loan, you've paid back less than you borrowed, which is pretty hard to get your mind around. In every other economy, you have not seen negative interest rates for households, for families and mums and dads. So I think that's a really important distinction. How has it played into the housing market? It's played through like every other interest rate cut. It has supported asset prices, including housing. It's certainly an intriguing situation. And I think you're right in saying that that all the months ahead, anything could actually happen here. But Joe, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. That was really interesting speaking with you. My absolute pleasure. Great to talk to you. We're now casting our gaze west to the Perth property market, which looks poised to see solid price growth after years in the doldrums and a tough 2020. Perth had the biggest rise in rental prices of all the capital cities last quarter, and with falling vacancy rates, the city recorded its sharpest rent rise in eight years. Property prices were also up and are expected to rise further off the back of the hard border being lifted on November 14. Joining us now to discuss what's happening on the ground there is property analyst and commentator Gavin Hegney. Gavin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alice. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Gavin, the Perth market has had a tough run since about 2014. How had the market been looking before the pandemic hit earlier this year and how has it changed since then? Yeah, well, we had a massive boom in 2005 to 2008 where we saw prices basically double. And and I think since then, we've really been languishing. We've had a really tough time. There's been some areas that have surged between then and 2014. Um, but since 2014, basically almost a lost decade in the Perth property market, where values, even though the stats might say we're off you know, somewhere around about you know, 15 to 20%, in some instances, it's a lot more than that. So it's been a, a, a tough time in the market for owners. Hence, a lot of negative equity, uh, a lot of people you know, at risk of default, you know, basically twice the potential default rate in Western Australia compared to the rest of Australia. Mm. We've seen sharp rental increases in Perth and vacancy rates drop below 1% this year with domain figures putting it at 0.8% last month. And the Real Estate Institute of WA has declared a rental crisis. Do you think this is going to be an issue for quite some time in Perth? It's going to take investors to be buying properties, not off other investors who are selling, because there's still selling pressure in the investment market. It's going to need investors to buy off homeowner occupiers. And in that sense, what it'll do is further decrease the supply of property available for homeowner occupiers, decrease the choice. And that basically transposes the rental pressure 
to purchasing pressure, which inevitably happens, especially given low interest rates and high yields in the market, where there wouldn't be a, a day go by without a, a tenant speaking to me, asking me, well, gee, if I have to pay them rent, I'm actually paying more rent than it would cost me to buy. So that's really tipping a lot of tenants into the market and really Perth market best described as the tenants of today are probably the buyers of tomorrow. Mm. So it's clearly bad news for renters at the moment, but I'd imagine Perth is becoming increasingly appealing for investors. Have you seen much of an uptick in interest from investors? I think it's only just starting now. The investors are coming out of the woodwork because of the yields, and you don't normally buy a residential property for the yields. Normally it's a, you know, accept the rent, help pay the mortgage off with the rent, but then look for capital growth. And now, with the yields the way they are, people are buying properties and getting a positive cash flow from residential property in a capital city. That's pretty unheard of in, in a, probably a 30-year period in our market. So negative gearing almost doesn't exist because the rents are greater than the, than the costs and the interest. Gavin, in terms of property prices, both houses and unit prices in Perth rose last quarter. What are you expecting in the months to come, particularly with the hard border being lifted in mid-November 14? Yeah, well, our market, we're already seeing breakout prices. So something that might have been $800,000 or thereabouts, we've got offers going in at like 825s, 850s. So buyers are prepared to pay above asking price because there's such short supply. And what that's created then is it's created people missing out on the property. So you get this fear of missing out kicking into the market and buyers prepare to pay above asking price if it's a short supply property that they want. And that tends to be the market, which is probably the 750,000 to $1.2 million market near city market and people want love houses at the moment in Perth. Mostly land value, something they can do, something to, best locations. And in some instances, buyers are actually just getting disillusioned because they can't find anything. So there's still latent demand sitting there waiting for the supply to become available. It's certainly going to be quite fascinating to watch. Thank you so much for your time today. It was great talking with you. Thanks, Alice. It's a pleasure. And now we welcome Daniel and Jade, the last couple from the block, to join us as we start to excitedly approach auction day on the show. The farmer and hairdresser from South Australia have battled bushfire and drought, and now the renovation of a 1930s period home on the show. All the while displaying some of the best paint jobs I think we've seen ever on the block. Daniel and Jade, thank you for joining us. Hello, how are you, Alice? Our pleasure. It's so lovely to speak to you both. I've just enjoyed watching your story play out on the show and you're clearly gluttons for punishment. (laughs) Whose idea was it to come onto the show and apply? It was mine. You know, it was one of those things that I needed an outlet, obviously, after, you know, having Isla so sick the first time we ever applied. So that was, you know, in the June and then, you know, towards the end of the year, you know, it popped up on my Facebook feed and was on the TV and it was like it was calling my name saying, yep, this is something you need to do to, you know, sort of just take your mind, you know, away a little bit from Isla and, you know, have something else just to focus on that's not wholly and solely about her. So, yeah, it was it was nice. It was actually a really, you know, an amazing breath of fresh air. And, you know, when I mentioned it to Daniel, he was like, oh, oh, why not? What have we got to lose? <laughs> Can I get a comment from you, Daniel? Is that how you really felt when Jade was like, yeah, let's just do this to try to escape? You thought, what a great idea. When she said to me about it, I'm like, why would they want a couple of country hits like us sort of thing? So I said, well, you do the paperwork and I'll be there at the audition. So 
that's how we went about it. What have been your property journeys to date? Like, tell me about what properties have you owned before? Tell me about what, what your experience has been in property. We're on the land. So, you know, we're farmers, you know, we've got a lot of land, you know, our cattle and our sheep and our cropping and all of that. And that's a joint venture with obviously Daniel's parents and his brother and their families. So, you know, it's pretty amazing. And then obviously we have houses. So we had a property up in Darwin that we bought and we, we did some slight renovations to it. You know, nothing major, obviously, you know, we um, we had our first child on the way. So we painted it and did the garden and um, sold that a couple of years later We've got a couple of houses in Port Pirie that, you know, are rental properties. We've had them for, you know, nearly 10 years now. So they're just little projects that we've had, obviously, you know, building up a little bit of a portfolio, you know, not only for ourselves, but our, our kids and their future. And it's a nice little super fund, hopefully, that they'll have. So guys, what will your dream home or dream project be like if money was no object? Like if you win the block come auction day and you win a ridiculous amount of money, what would you like to do? <laughs> Yeah, look, I mean, we've had this conversation a few times since the block and especially from when we did the challenge, the Lego challenge. So it's been a big one. We have put a little bit of thought into it. And the first thing we both come up to is we'd just like to pack our caravan, our kids up and go traveling for six months around Australia. So, you know, to try and tie it back to that property is pretty hard at the moment. But yeah, we definitely like to renovate our own house where we're living now. You know, we've got a beautiful 100 odd year old home and it hasn't had the back end renovated yet. So a new kitchen and bathroom, that'd be definitely high on the agenda. I think also what's really lovely about you both is that you've got this wonderful sort of sensibility to your style and design of how you have made the house and it's got this really different feel to it because of your experience living on the land and you've suddenly then transported yourself into sort of a beautiful suburban suburb of Melbourne. And Jade, I think that particularly comes through in your styling and that. Was that really at the front of your mind throughout the season? Yeah, I think that obviously, you know, being off the land and, you know, that love for timber and I think that's something that both Daniel and I have grown up with in both our own homes, you know, the love for timber and, and you know, the love of the earth and nature and, you know, just having that, that feel come into the home and our house is eclectic in the way that it brings you know, there's something in a room you might walk in and you'll go, oh, this feels like when I went to my, my grandma's house. Or, you know, it's got that same warmth when mum was cooking a meal. You know, it's that same feel in the kitchen. Or, you know, there's those different feels when you go into different spaces, you know, as you journey through your own life and just trying to bring that warmth and, you know, homey, earthy feel into our house. Yeah, I think what you're sort of talking about is the emotional pull that you can have on a house. On that note, how are you both feeling about auction day? You know, obviously Melbourne's just getting back on its feet post a really long, arduous lockdown. How are you both feeling about the anticipation of auction day and the unpredictability of, of what's happened in the market here? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of money around. And when you look at the, the markets, the higher end of the market is still selling quite well. But yeah, I don't, I don't think we're not thinking about it too much. We're just trying to get through day to day at the moment. Let's just hope we can get the borders all open and get rid of corona. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys very soon in the flesh. And Daniel and Jade, thank you both so much for talking with us today. And I'll see you very soon. Thank, thank you, you so much, Alice. Can't wait to see you either. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and look out for further episodes dropping every Thursday. If you have a property story you'd like to tell us or a question we could perhaps help answer, send us an email at propertyunpacked@domain.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by NAB, more than money.
This episode was produced by Adrian Lowe, Kate Burke and Danielle Giannopoulos. It was edited and mixed by Dan McHugh. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au. Talk to you next week. Thank you.